I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ Community Church. Uh, we are continuing in the book of Romans. We have two sermons left for a journey that's taken us about two years or so. Uh, and so this is the next to the last. We'll be in verses uh, 17 through 24 this morning in chapter 16. So if you would be turning there. And the key truth that I would love for us to walk away with is that God calls us to be wise to what is biblically good and innocent to what is biblically evil. Let me say that again. God calls us to be wise to what is biblically good and innocent to what is biblically evil. So if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 24. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so as we step into this section of the text, this is Paul's last admonition to the Roman saints. And this actually serves as a bit of a counterbalance to the discussion on the weak and the strong, right? Uh, we could easily see every circumstance as, well, th this is a, a, a situation of weak and strong, and so therefore we have to be patient and, and kind, which is true. All love should be exercised with patience and kindness. But there are circumstances for which we are to remove ourselves, to break fellowship, or to keep someone away from. And so Paul's going to address that here because that's important for us to hear uh, as, he, as he helps balance out that discussion on weak and strong and issues of unity and hospitality. Uh, so the question that I have for you before we step into the text is, have you ever been part of a church where there were divisions and obstacles? Why are you laughing, Dave? Is that current? Do you have a confession? Uh, well, I have, and, and it wasn't my fault. Praise God. Uh, I wasn't on staff, uh, but we, we saw a church actually come apart at the seams such that it no longer existed when the smoke cleared. We had actually moved to Macon. And the, the difficult part about church division is it's different than worldly divisions, is it not? Like we're supposed to be different than the world. There are ways in which we're supposed to live like abused that, that aren't being ministered to. We're also to care for the, the rich and, and the prideful. Uh, in, in these ways of calling them to respond to the gospel. So we stand in this weird space uh, where we, we don't get to divide as readily or as easily as the world does. And so when we have divisions, it looks particularly noxious, does it not? And the second question I have for you is, what did that do to you spiritually? to be in a circumstance where there were divisions and obstacles. Now, my hope is that you, you would be able to testify ultimately that you grew. And one of the things that did happen to us, and I think some of it had to do with 
we were, we were there when it, the wheels started coming off. We moved to Macon and were gone by the time the wheels came off completely. So I think maybe we had critical distance to, to be able to say we grew from it. It's much more difficult when you're in the midst of it, and especially if it is uh, involving you and the circumstances that you're directly involved in. So I want to be careful here to not say this is what always should happen or always does happen, right? But it is something that the Lord can use. Despite, remember that, that great passage from Genesis 50, despite what man means for evil, God can take and use for his good. There's things we can learn out of those things. Unfortunately, what I saw, uh, not just in our lives, but in the lives of some other people, is many of the folks who were involved in that division and split at the church we were part of, they never returned to church. It wasn't worth the fight anymore. It was folks who had been in church for 30 years who served in leadership. And so there is, this, this can be catastrophic. And if we wait until it's on us, we're too late. And so this is something that Paul's trying to emphasize to them. If you've noticed, uh, and we, we mentioned this a, a few weeks back, there, there wasn't necessarily an active issue that was, that was roiling. It was something that was kind of bubbling below the surface and Paul was getting hints of. And so he wanted to be proactive and address it and equip them to deal with it. And so this is part of that further equipping, which is helpful to us as well. Because one of the places that division begins is, is in someone kind of coming in or one of us uh, unintentionally rising up uh, and, and going contrary to the doctrine that has been taught to us in the gospel. And so we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. So let's turn back to the text and see Paul's final admonition to the church. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division. So this isn't, again, he's not saying wait till it happens. He's saying you, you want to be steeped enough in the gospel, steeped enough in the doctrine of, of the person and work of Christ in your life, steeped enough in the things that we are unified around that it's easier for you to detect or know when someone is speaking counter to that, right? Uh, and, and look, we're in an age that is much more difficult to need by which people can influence you and speak to you. You can be influenced by someone who lives, let's just say, in Moscow, Idaho. I just picked that randomly. Uh, and, and that affect the local church. Like one of my, in the last days of my time on Facebook, which sounds like a prison sentence, and it kind of was, uh, I can't tell you how many, like, hey, this Sunday, if your pastor's not addressing such and such, you need to X, Y, and Z. And, and they weren't all bad things to be addressed, don't get me wrong, but, but notice that they're trying to influence a local circumstance for which they don't know anybody. And so, so there's a sense in which we do. We have many more avenues by which we can be uh, divided with one another, that we can come to view one another in a very suspicious fashion uh, instead of allowing the local circumstance uh, to prove itself out. I'm a big fan of, if you suspect something is off, come find out. If you suspect that we're, we're, we're into some weird stuff, please come and ask us. I am happy to answer you, uh, and the session is happy to answer you, the diaconate's happy to answer any of the staff members. We're happy to answer any questions that you may have about where we stand on certain things, where we're going, how we view certain things, 
Uh, I'm not afraid of those conversations, nor is anybody on the session. I'm speaking for them right now, uh, or the staff. Uh, and so, so we want to, to be able to make sure that divisions don't rise like mushrooms in the dark closet, right? Which they can do, uh, especially if you're, you're kind of feeding yourself with lots of things outside of the local circumstance. Now, hear me clearly. I read broadly, so I'm not saying, therefore, you guys can't read anything or look at anything else. I'm just saying be discerning as you do so and certainly have in your mind, all right, is this kind of moving me off of what is critical to the gospel? Is this moving me away from the, the, the basics around which we are all unified? And so he's saying this is something you must do actively and cultivate. So it is primarily your responsibility. Now, what kind of divisions would they cause? Okay, Because uh, and, and, he, he makes it clear, he says, that that's these, these divisions and obstacles that would be contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. And so I'm a big fan of, let's stick with what Paul is saying and not what he's not saying. And so in the context of the Roman letter, we'll do a quick survey of Romans to try to pick up on what doctrine he's talking about. So if we go back to chapters 1 and 2, uh, that's actually the one place where he evidences, uh, or not the one place, but one of the primary places, he evidences their differences, right? The Gentiles did not have the covenant. They didn't have all of the things that the Jews had to help instruct them in the fact that they were beloved of God. However, they did have creation, and they did make choices as to uh, as opposed to the creator. So they were without excuse. The Jews had all kinds of things to try to help them know that God loved them. And they too were without excuse. But here's where he brings them together in phase in chapter 3. If you remember, he quotes uh, Psalm 14 uh, as well as Psalm 53, I think. Uh, and so he, he makes it very clear that all are fallen. It doesn't matter what you start with. It doesn't matter how much information you have from the start. That's not what's consequential. What is consequential is that we are all equally united in our fallenness and sinfulness in comparison to a holy God. Now, that's the key comparison. Because one of the places where I think we have a tendency to divide is we have a tendency to kind of say this sin is worse than that sin. Now, I want to be fair here because within, as far as certain earthly consequences are concerned, that is true, right? If I steal some batteries from CVS, that is not the same to you as if I abuse you personally, correct? Those are categorically different in terms of earthly consequence. However, in light of God's holiness... Both are sinful and require the same solution. That's very important. Now, within the earthly consequence, there may be a different level of restitution. It's a different level of restitution for me to take those batteries back to CVS, admit what I've done, and then bear the weight of the consequences due that crime. Similarly, if I have abused you in some form or fashion, the restitution that has to be made is, is very different, is it not? It's not as material, right? Uh, and, and may take much longer and bear a different set of consequences. But it's very important that we recognize that, that there's no hierarchy in terms of sinfulness. One of the places that I saw this uh, most starkly was at the rescue mission, where everybody was homeless, but somehow, some way, they created a hierarchy of not being as bad in their homelessness as some other homeless people. 
Uh, and, and my point always, but you're all in the same spot. So, and, and think about it, the solution's not dissimilar. They needed a, a similar solution. Well, for our sin, that solution at the end of chapter three and going into chapter four is Christ alone by faith alone, right? He uses the example of Abraham. This is yet another place where division can creep in, where we start to add things to our savedness, right? Well, think about in their day, it would have been the Judaizers. They would have said things like, well, that's great that you've accepted Christ, but, but you're not circumcised. Or that's great that you've accepted Christ, but you don't, you don't observe these feast days, which Colossians 2 addresses. And in our day, there's similar things. It's like, it's great that you say you're a Christian, but unless you take up this cause as your reason for living, and the totality, you don't care for this group of people more than you care about all these other groups of people, right? It's kind of this, this virtue signaling. It can be dog whistling. It can be all kind of fun stuff. And it occurs, let me be very clear, on every side. Everybody does this. And it's one of the places where we start to look down on each other, right? Uh, remember back, and again, this was in my, the last days of of, this will be the, my memoir, The Last Days of Facebook uh, for Cameron Barham. Uh, you remember the, the um, folks who, uh, Joseph Coney and those folks who had stolen the girls, they were Nigerian, is that correct? Uh, and, and so our solution was, hey man, I'm going to put a red X on my Facebook. I'm going to let the world know, uh-uh, no sir. How many of those girls came back from those red Xs? Let me be, I'm being somewhat cheeky. I don't think it was a bad thing that we did that. There's a sense in which is that, that was all that many did. And then they divide it. Like if you didn't have the red X, if you weren't talking about it in your timeline, you were trash. And we do this along many, many different lines. We could pick, and my wife is in it. We could say pro-life is the most important thing in all the world, and every resource, every minute, every hour, everything we do ought to go toward that. That's not true. It's not true. We have folks who are called to that, and we should expend resources to that end, and we should serve as she and so many others do, and we should support that work. But not everybody is called to the same level of passion for that issue, right? Nowhere in Scripture does it say, this is what makes you a true Christian in this way. We are to have a concern for the marginalized, but we got, uh, as Scripture would tell us, many, 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 many layers of the marginalized from here till Jesus comes. And so praise God that different people have different passions to function in different areas. Because if we did expend all of our effort, money, and energy, would we put a stop to this issue? I'm not, I'm not being cynical here. No, you wouldn't. You're not going to end world hunger, uh, more than likely, like the 200 of us, not. But should we, should we care about the hungry? Well, Matt and those guys did an amazing job, and you gave significantly to those who are underfed for a summer. Fall's coming. I'm not saying that what we did was not good. It, it was amazing, and thank you. But we have to be realistic in recognizing that the needs go on and on, and praise God that we get to step into them and play the part that we play, but we should not be dividing over who is more moralistic or who cares more about something than another. This is a place where we can do that. And so it is by faith alone. There's no super Christianity. There's no hierarchy within Christianity. Everybody has a part to play. 
And so as Paul goes on, he goes to chapter 5, and he, there's no other way to be saved. This is critically important. And think of, the, think of the, the divisions that have occurred either over cheap grace, right, or works-based. You got, yeah, it's grace, but you got to earn some of it. That's a, a divisive issue within the church. Still to this day, it was then, and it is now. And then as he goes on, he, he mentions that in your baptism, you have a sacrament that is to help you grow in sanctification. And you grow in sanctification by one way as he goes into chapter 7 and 8, and that is by the Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit makes you walk in newness of life. Yes, there should be a definitive difference about you if you are in union with Christ. And that difference is that you should be free. You should be free in regards to sin. So one of the first places that would be most uh, explicit about who and whose you are is, this, is the speed at which you repent of things, is the humility that you display in this world, your concern for reconciliation, your concern for the unity of the church, not cheap unity, right? Is it unity if we just cover something up? Let's just get it out of you. We don't want to deal with it. This is too big of an issue. It can hurt the church as institution as if we haven't been battered all, all over kingdom come. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no saving the image. In fact, I'm going to go back on that. There could be some salvaging of the image if we were the most repentant, humble, and willing to be held accountable people that anybody knew. In addition to being the most creative and hospitable that anybody knows. And so Paul is saying you're unified in this because of the love of God for you that is greater than the sin that was true of you stated in chapter 3. This is where you're unified. And then in chapters 9 through 11, he again explains to them, there should be no obstacle. This is getting into the obstacles. There should be no obstacle to a Jew or a Gentile coming into the kingdom. None. Because God loves both, right? And then as he moves in 12 through 15, he gives us, or, and even into 16, he gives us some very practical ways in which we can do life together in a very hospitable fashion. And notice, notice he had different gifts for different people, and different people play different parts. This is where we are to be benefited by one another. So one of the things that unifies us is our mutual interdependence, not just with Christ himself, but with one another. This is where he, he wanted to make sure, like the, one of the great ways in which we keep divisions at bay is that we care well for one another. That we're aware of those who may be isolated or at the margins. That we are aware of uh, situations where someone is beginning to drift away. People do fall through the cracks. There's, we're never going to bat a thousand. Always grow in this regard, right? And so this, this interconnectedness is as critical to who they are and whose they are. And so uh, he, he's, he's making sure that they see there should be no obstacles to these types of things. And he goes on to say that if anything is contrary to what you've been taught, it's real simple. Put them on blast. Is that what it says? Is that what the Greek, is that the Greek translation? Attack them in public. Shame them. Uh, 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 go after their character. Is that what you're supposed to do? Is that what you got time for? Is that the best use of our time in the kingdom? No. What does it say? Avoid them. Just avoid them. 
Now, that, that may seem uh, to you a little bit harsh, but this is, this is for the protection of something that is far greater. There was a guy one time in Macon named Eddie. I loved Eddie. He, he, he was a, a, a New York Jewish. He grew up in New York as a Jew, had converted to Christianity, and some folks uh, that were at our church who were very involved in the downtown homeless ministry had really ministered and loved him well. And he would come to every small group and go, hey, how old do y'all think the earth is? Now, he thought it was about 7.6 billion years old, okay? Some of the people in the room thought it was about 4,000. Some thought it was 26. Some thought it was 5 billion. Some, you know, we, we were all over the place. And so, but, but for Eddie, this was a litmus test. If you could not say that the earth was 7.6 billion years old, he did not want to be in your presence because you were too ignorant for him to waste his breath upon. And he would turn. It didn't matter what we talked about. Somehow the age of the earth became the most important question for every small group. So I went to Eddie. Now, you can do with this what you will. What I'm about to say, I may or may not have been being cheeky. This may or may not be my view. You'll have to ask me personally. I said, Eddie, I think the earth is probably about 5.7 billion years old. He goes, I said, so can we be friends? He's like, yeah. I was like, no, we can't. I'm like 1.5 billion years off of your view. That's a lot. Yeah, but you're closer than those 4,000 and 26,000ers. I'm like, yeah, but if the math matters, you can't grant me grace on 1.6 billion years and not them on seven point whatever. And so we had to avoid Eddie going forward because that was the only thing he was concerned about. Now, I will say, it sounds like a compressed, very quick circumstance. It was not. It was a long, protracted, uh, careful, kind, and patient issue. Any time I saw Eddie in public, as long as it didn't bring up the age of the earth, uh, we were fine. And now you may say, well, who cares about the age? Well, Eddie did. I told him, I said, I can live in the tension of your view and their views because scripture doesn't exactly why we come up with the numbers we come up with, we do, but you can't say with absolute certainty from scripture and make it a divisive issue, I don't think. And so he wanted to. So we had to avoid him in that way. It stunk, it should be grieved, and I hated doing it. But it had to be done because it was taking up all the air and all the time of every small group and we couldn't grow in Christ through the small group ministry because that's all we argued about. And so, there is a sense in which there may come a time with a certain person or ideology or group of folks that you have to just, you gotta avoid them because they're beginning to influence you and in in, toward division and creating obstacles for other people to be able to be Christians because you're either adding things to it or taking away that which matters. And then he goes on, he says, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. Now this is an important distinction. Because what he's saying is they are, they are essentially commodifying other people. They serve their bellies. And it's all about flattery and all this kind of stuff. They're, they're serving their own end. And they don't care about your local church circumstance. What's really interesting to me is much of the, many of the modern divisions are being influenced by people who will never do your funeral. They won't do your wedding. They won't counsel you when you need it most. They won't walk you through the death of a loved one. They won't walk you through a prodigal child. They won't be there, but they will have affected those who could be there for you 
You need to think that through. Because they're not there for you. They're there for following. They're there for followers to help build their platforms. You need to be cautious about this because this is a day and age in which every riven person somehow is an expert on any given topic. And by the way, we are suspicious of all experts, which is kind of weird since everybody's an expert. And so we need to watch for how they're going to them, these folks who may be uh, influencing your life, what actual local impact are they gonna have on you? And are they taking from you what you will need someday most? Because they can't be there, they won't be there. And he goes on, he says, and he commends him again, and I love this. He says, listen, your obedience, it is known. It is known to all, and he rejoices over what a, Think of the gift this is with the, the hard things that Paul has had to say to them and the way he's having to even challenge them now. For him to be able to say to them, your obedience is known, and, and I rejoice over you. And I would say the same of you all. Right? There's, there's, there's a sense in which this church has grown in hospitality in, in the years that I've been here, the nine years coming up. This church has grown in one anothering in some beautiful ways. It's a glorious thing to put in. And uh, before we could even get a meal train, and I'm not saying meal trains are bad, and, and those are good ways to help organize things, but I, it was beautiful to hear folks were already in motion to serve the wells. Uh, Jack's taking care of the grass. It's, things are already being taken care of. And that is a beautiful thing without us even having to step in and organize anything. Now, we will, but it's also good just to one another. Many of your small groups are doing this in some beautiful ways. Watching, watching the, the students who were in the summer leadership project, I could hear their conversations and just what they did to organize and how they served the students at Must Ministries was beautiful. It was. It was just beautiful to hear their, and I know they're not always mature, nor am I, uh, but they were, and the things that mattered, it was just, it was a glorious thing to hear them with a focus and a purpose, caring about something and accomplishing it. Uh, it gave me hope, right? We, we hear a lot of negative things about coming generations. Not, you should have sat in on the SLP stuff. It'll give you a little bit of hope. And there's, there's many others of you who are, are just, just serving and loving one another well. Your obedience is known and is worthy of rejoicing. And thank you. And so, as Paul goes on, though, he says, but, and this is not a but where he's going to take him to task. He's just saying, but, but I, I want you, don't, don't, don't go to sleep at the wheel. I want you to continue to make sure that you're wise as far as uh, these things that are good and you are innocent as to what is evil. Now, the biblical definition of good is anything that is going to glorify God, Right? And to glorify God means that you can't be the hero. It means that, that you're, you're not the, the point and purpose of the circumstance or story necessarily. Now, he may work through you as instrumentality to display his glory, and that is a gift. But, but to, to exalt God, to glorify God, means we are a grateful and praise-filled people. There's a joy to us that is, that's just different, Right? And so uh, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is that Jesus should always be exalted. He is Lord. He is King. Jesus should always be made Savior. So if something is biblically good, it should straight away do those two things. 
And what's interesting is, you know, if you notice, I haven't mentioned any human yet. Well, here's where the humans come from. Is that, that people should be treated as beloved image bearers with a respect and a dignity that is relational, not commodified. So this is where we are to love our neighbor. So to do what is good is to know that we have been loved, which brings gratitude and glory to God and exalts Jesus. And then we are to respond by loving God, uh, by participating in the, in the things uh, that he has given to us as means of grace, by loving the beloved community that he's established around us, but instead uh, such that you would invite people into it, right? Back to that first question that I asked you about if a church was divided. How many of you were like, told your neighbors, like, hey, you got to come see this. This is a complete something show. Uh, you need to see supposedly kind people being mean to each other. It's glorious. No, you don't invite people to that car wreck, right? You're only going to invite people into what, what is life-giving to your soul. You're going to invite people into something where you feel like they're going to be cared for uh, and, and, and loved well. And so we want to be a community that does that, and a big part of that is for us to be wise, and, and wise, taking us back to Proverbs, means we know how to live in the world and how to adjust based on uh, God's word. And then the other thing he wants them to be is innocent as regards evil. So the biblical definition of evil is anything that's going to diminish God. That's going to remove him as creator. That's going to remove him as sovereign authority of things. Uh, and anything that's going to take Christ off the throne. Make Christ less of a savior than he really is. And then last is to turn people into commodities for our own selfish gain. So these are things that you can First, judge yourself on. Paul's very clear in Corinthians. If we would do the work of, of, of examining ourselves, the world wouldn't have to. And remember what Jesus said in, in John 15, how will the world know who and whose we are? What's the one thing he says that stands out above every other marker? The love that we show for one another, that begins in-house first. If judgment begins in the house of the Lord, so does love. Now, not only exclusively, because again, if the world is looking on and they know who and whose you are, that means you're engaging the world. Paul makes this very clear in Corinthians. He says, I'm not calling you out of the world. Jesus makes that clear in, in John 17 when he prays for us. He said, I'm not calling y'all out of the world. What I'm calling you to do is live in the world in a different way so that you stand out. And you will do that by the love that you express and show one another. And so he goes on, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now the tough part about the word soon in the Bible is it doesn't have the timestamp that we would like for it to. It doesn't always mean within a generation or soon as far as alleviating our circumstance. But what he is saying when he says soon is that it is certain, it is certain that, that, that Satan will be crushed under their feet. And this calls back Genesis 3.15 uh, and the work of Christ whose enemies are put under his feet. Since we are in Christ, his body, that is also true for us. That also means, and this takes us back to uh, Romans chapter 6, that our baptism represents that freedom. We are not slaves to sin. We are not slaves to division. We are because we are the beloved community first. And then he displays this. He takes us on another geography uh, of grace. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And we know who Timothy is from 1 and 2 Timothy, somebody who was so dear to Paul that he called him son. So do Lucius, 
Now, Lucius could either be Lucius of Cyrene, or this could be an affectionate way of referring to Luke the physician. We don't know for sure. And then Jason, Jason was somebody who ministered to Paul in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. In fact, he had him over to the house, had a bunch of people over. They threw a great big party. It went well, so well that the Pharisees beat Jason up and told him never do it again. When, well, I'm not going to say, when have you thrown a party that you got in trouble for? So that, that we'll, we'll erase, we'll save that for another discussion. And then he mentions Sosipater, which actually could be the long version of Sopater of Berea, which is also in the book of Acts. Uh, and then there's Tertius, who serves as the letter's scribe. So you may have read this and be like, whoa, whoa, I thought Paul, it says, I, Tertius, have written to you. Well, Paul often employed scribes to, to take down letters for him, and so they would often sign it as if they were the author themselves. Uh, but it says he greets them in the Lord. And then uh, Gaius is either one of two people. Uh, he's either uh, uh, Paul's traveling companion from Derby or the first person that Paul baptized in 1 Corinthians 1.14. We're not sure. Uh, and then there's Erastus, the city treasurer. This is an interesting entry because it shows that the gospel had spread to people who were in positions of influence and governance. This is a, actually kind of a beautiful picture of the power of the gospel to make inroads into places. We saw this last week as there were family members of Narcissus uh, and, and, and um, Herodotus' uh, grandson, um, or Herod's grandson. And so uh, he goes on to mention one last person. This is the first time they're mentioned. Our brother Quartus greet you. This is the first time he's mentioned. We don't know who he is. But again, notice he's finishing with uh, a, a beloved community greeting, evidencing he can't do this by himself. He is dependent, and there's a way in which uh, we are to engage with one another. There's, there's a firm foundation in the, doctrine, uh, the doctrines that we espouse. Those matter to us. Now, those doctrines are not meant to only matter to us. They are meant to set us free to then love our neighbors in the various ways that we mentioned earlier. Not just the people in the church, but the marginalized and, and otherwise. These doctrines are really to set us free to be able to engage instead of stay caught up in argument after argument after argument. If you've read many of Paul's letters, this is something he refers to often. Do not get tangled up in foolish arguments. How many of you, if you, if you just obeyed that, your life would immediately get better? This conspiracy is, whatever the latest dog whittle on the other side, please remember that the enemy of your enemy is not always your friend. They're not. And even if they're espousing what you think to be true, that doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're actually unified on anything maybe other than that. Whereas the gospel creates a unity that's eternal and matters. And long after many of these issues are meaningless to history, we will go on. The church will go on. And so listen to what Charles Hodge says about this. He says, Christians should unite the harmlessness of the dove with the wisdom of the serpent. Who else said that, by the way? Jesus said that. They should be careful neither to cause divisions or scandals themselves, nor allow others to deceive and beguile them into evil. I want to be really careful here. And saying that this is, this is not an issue of that you can't ever raise a question or you can't ever uh, have an issue with something. You can. 
And, and the most gracious way that you can go about that, like I said, is to actually bring it to us and find out, ask. There's a difference between a question and an accusation, right? So if we're being jerks about something, it'll, it'll show up pretty readily. All you gotta do is get in our space, ask the questions, and watch our body language first. And then listen to our answers, and then look at the fruit on the tree, right? And so, I, I, for many of you, you're like, oh, I don't want to bother you. Well, I don't want poison fruit growing in the darkness either. So I would rather you take the time to come. We'll, we'll, we can figure out the time to do whatever needs to be done. But I don't want you to ever feel like you have no voice and that you, any sort of question is automatic division or scandal. No, it's not. It's just not. Division and scandal is, a, is, is when the answers have been decided oftentimes, and that begins to bear the fruit of division. Um, and so, I have a, the questions I have for you. Are you wise to what is biblically good, that glorifies God, exalts Jesus, and edifies other image bearers? That's just a good litmus test, is it not? To kind of ask of, of the things that we're engaging in. Does this do that? Is this, is this leading me in that way? And one of the reasons I had to leave Facebook is, uh, I, I, would, I never really said much. Uh, for good reason, because I'm insanely sarcastic, and oftentimes the first thought I have should not be shared with anybody in the world, ever, because it's unprocessed, has been, it hasn't been put against this, right? And left to my own devices, I know this may trouble some of y'all, I need Jesus. That shouldn't trouble any of you, but I get why it might trouble some of you. And so, and so I had to engaging in stuff that was not exalting God or demeaning in, in Jesus. But where it got me was what it, what it began to do to my heart toward other people because they were either being snarky or doing the whole, like, if you pastor's not engaging with blah, 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 I'm like, yeah, I'll engage with you on it. Let's do it. Uh, well, I never did. Uh, for some reason, it's the one place I was actually smart in my life. Uh, I don't know why, but, uh, and I never got on Twitter. I had people actually make me a handle. I'm like, dude, you would be hysterical. I was like, nope, I wouldn't. I would be a scorched earth, and that ain't good. Uh, and so you got to know your limits. And so this is where you have to assess yourself, and this is a good litmus test. And the other question, equally as good, it's just the companion. But are you innocent to what is biblically evil that opposes God, diminishes Christ, and selfishly exalts you over others, or in any way, shape, or form commodifies other people? And there's so many things that do that in this world that we spend way too much time on. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at you. I've lost time in all of those same places more than likely. Uh, but, but it's important that we recognize you can't say you, you care about one thing when you're, when you're taking away what you say you care about with your other hand. And so this is important for us to grow in wisdom and innocence in for the life of the world, for God's glory, and really our joy, right? Who wants to attend a divided church that's inhospitable and fighting? Not me. Uh, I don't want to contribute to that, and nor should you. So what we get from Paul's last admonition is that we are called to be wise in what is biblically good and innocent to what is biblically evil. 
Would you join me in seeking to grow in that in the power of the Holy Spirit who can lead and guide us in those things and that we would be a community of people who are willing to help each other in that regard through our questions, through our concerns, uh, through our willingness to honor one another by coming to one another and loving one another and building each other up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul and his um, just glorious clarity throughout the book of Romans I thank you that he has helped us as a church think through some things that have practical implications for every day, for how we engage with you and how we engage with one another. Would you help us to grow in wisdom as to what is good, Lord? Help us to assess ourselves first. Before we go looking at what what ought to be good in other people's lives, let's take stock of our own. And then from that position of humility, may we be able to help one another grow in this category, not as an inquisition, but, but as, as a maturation further into the image of Christ, would you also help us to be innocent as to what is evil so as not to take away with our right hand what we offer with our left and that we would be uh, not yet, but instead would be evidence of uh, a humble people who need Jesus and will need Jesus until he returns, uh, who rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, who trust in your word as true, Uh, who regularly gather for worship, who regularly meet together in in our homes and other places. Would you help us be a more hospitable, beloved community for each other, uh, for those who don't currently know you, and for your glory in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.